Please take your Bibles and join me in Acts chapter 6. Last time we took note of how numerical growth brings with it the potential for more problems. And why is this? Because in our best state, we're still sinners. I do not say that with any sense of pride. I'm just saying we're going to have problems. We saw in verse 1 how a murmuring arose between the Grecians and the Hebrews when it came to the care of widows. This church, which was clicking along in one accord, experiencing phenomenal growth and blessing, now has a serious problem on their hands. They are no longer in one accord. I'm not going to mention everything we covered last time. If you missed it, please go back and listen. I believe it was one of those messages we can all benefit from. I could probably sum up last week, or whenever, last time I did this, I can probably sum up the last time by citing one verse I didn't even mention then, 2 Timothy 2.23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Amen. You see, we think as independent Baptists, we have all the answers, forgetting that we had to grow. Amen. Come on now. We, we, we had to grow. We had to be brought along. So learn to let the little things go. Go back and listen, and you can get mad at me all over again. I don't know. Problems will arise. They will. And we'll see tonight that we can overcome problems in a church with proper leadership structure, good leadership, and God's help. Problems are never going to be eliminated. I wish that they would be. But we can successfully deal with problems when they happen. We can keep moving forward in the process. Let's begin tonight. Acts chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 through 7. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. The word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. We see in verses 2 through 4 that when problems arise, leadership must act. I mentioned at the close of my message last time that in order for this to happen, leadership must be informed. That's common sense, I hope. Thankfully, this problem in the church in Jerusalem, it made it to the ears of the apostles before it grew out of control, before they ended up with a church split between the Grecians and the Hebrews, 
They were able to deal with the problem because they knew about it. And so as I said last time, don't hesitate to bring problems to our leadership. I hate finding about issues after it's too late. And please don't go around complaining to your buddies because that can quickly lead to divided factions. Don't allow problems to become cancerous, but go to those who can do something about it. That was at the conclusion of last week. We'll get into the text more deeply here. We'll see what God may have for us. Now, this may seem contradictory to what I just said, but we see in these verses that while the apostles needed to know about this problem, they are not the ones who are going to personally handle this issue. Look at what they say in verse 3. It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. In other words, they are saying, it is not agreeable nor pleasing that we should forsake studying God's Word to deal with this. And right there, that's enough to get some church members all riled up. Oh, you don't care about my problem. But I want us to understand tonight that we are a body. And no one part of the body can do everything. Just like it is with our own physical bodies. You cannot see with your nose. Look at what they say in verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The word for serve in verse 2 and the word for ministry in verse 4 are very closely related. One is diakoneo and the other is diakonia. They practically mean the same thing and we can see where we get our English word for deacon. And what we find is that while the church body is made up of many members... We all have a service to perform. We have all been placed here by God to serve a purpose and to fulfill a role in this body. We are all servants, but that service will look different with different parts of the body. We're all gifted in different ways. Amen. I'm not gifted to work with children like some of you are. That's a surefire lawsuit right there. (laughs) Women are gifted to care for nursery children. Men would have them in there playing with knives. Amen? Hey, little Grayson, what's up, man? Some people have been gifted with construction abilities, mechanical abilities, electrical abilities, administrative abilities, teaching abilities. Some have stronger backs. And they can do the heavy lifting that others can't do. And I'm just trying to get us to see that we all have been gifted. And therefore we all can serve a role. And I realize some don't like hearing this, but my primary responsibility or service or ministry 
to this body is not to serve tables. Let me try to explain this a little bit. I don't have to work with every problem that comes up. I hope you understand what I mean. I will deal with every problem that comes up, but I don't have to work on every problem that comes up. Does that make sense? My primary responsibility is to pray, study, and preach. The same can be said for Pastor DeGarmo and Brother Long. They are very gifted men in ways that I am not. Between the two of them, we could build a house and a car, and I could just cheer them on. I would live in it and drive it. Their abilities far outweigh mine, but their primary role in this church is to pray, study, and preach. And to a lesser extent, though not less significant, this can be applied to all of our teachers. Amen. Listen, we, we, we've got to hear these things because if we're not careful, we end up where 90 or 80 are doing nothing and 10 to 20% are doing everything. But some have the idea, because I get sucked into reading these things out there, that the pastor should be doing everything. But based upon this passage, that isn't biblical. And though that's how many have come to view the role of a pastor. Now, please hear me well. <laughs> I don't want any putting words into my mouth. I am not above any task. And, and I mean that. And if you observe me long enough, I hope you'll see that I'm demonstrating this. But, but the truth is, we have people who can take out the trash, mow the yard. I'm not doing these things. I'm just throwing things out there. Mow the yard, shovel snow, sweep sidewalks, straighten up the hymnals, you ever walk down after a service? It makes me just cringe. You can help clean up after a service, and we could list all kinds of things. I realize in smaller churches, the pastor ends up taking on way more than he maybe he should. There's not enough to spread the workload out. But there are plenty of people in our church to handle problems. Listen, we even have people who can deal with the serious issues between the Grecians and the Hebrews. Amen. Not every issue has to be a, quote, pastoral issue, though I will take the oversight thereof. As I meditated upon this thought, I realized in those times when I need a break, it's usually a result of being pulled away from my primary service and dealing with things that really could be handled by somebody else who's just as gifted. Now, admittedly, it's, it's often my fault because I don't like to say no and hand that off to somebody else. But what did Jesus tell Peter three times in John 21? And I know there are slight variations, but He looked at Peter and said, Peter, lovest thou me? Feed my sheep. That's the primary responsibility. Feed my sheep. I'm here to feed you God's Word. This takes a lot of prayer and study. This can be overly interrupted by other needs which arise and end up drawing us away from our primary calling. Now, listen, don't be that person that says, no, pastor, just, he just preached on it. He doesn't want to hear from me. I didn't say that. Well, you just said you're too busy. I didn't say that. Amen? Because it's going to happen. 
And, and that's not what I'm saying. Look at what they say in verse 4 again. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This is a continuous exercise. It's not we're going to give ourselves to prayer and ministry of the Word a couple days a week. This is continuous. It means to earnestly give yourself to it. When a church body, and trust me, I'm not comfortable saying these things, but it needs to be said. When a church body allows its pastoral leadership to focus on prayer and the Word, then they are now doing what will be most profitable for that body. What's most healthy. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said this in chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 of 1 Timothy. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. Listen to this that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. That's heavy. What Paul is telling Timothy is that as you are benefited, Timothy, the church will be benefited. As you grow, the church will grow. As you are profited in the Word, the church will be profited in the Word. As you save yourself, you will save others. Now that's speaking about preserving and healing and delivering and protecting. Obviously only Christ can save the soul. And so Paul tells Timothy, give yourself wholly to the Word of God. Take time to meditate upon the Word. Learn the doctrines contained in God's Word. And in turn, you need to feed others what you've been fed by God. This is why the apostles can say with a clear conscience, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Handling this problem would take us away from how we are called to serve this body. And really, if you think about it, it means they expected that other people were more than capable of stepping up. Are you catching that? Well, the apostles obviously understand all this, especially Peter being one of them and having been told by Jesus, feed my sheep. And so they decide to delegate this problem to someone else to handle in verse 3. And they say, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And now we are beginning to see a church structure take place. Remember, this is all new. This is really the groundwork being laid for the office of a deacon. And this structure and this delegation was needed in order to preserve the direction of the church body as a whole. The apostles know they need to keep their focus on preaching the Word, but they also understand that no widow ought to be neglected. Amen. Regardless of where she was born, regardless of her accent, regardless of her language, because that was part of the issue, 
So the apostles will do what they're called to do, and then they're going to ordain good men to take care of this issue. The apostles are saying these ladies will be taken care of. We're not neglecting this problem, and we're not going to have people condescended upon because of where they're from. And, and we are seeing solid leadership here because the apostles, they're not allowing the Hebrews to pressure them and control them. The apostles are Hebrews, but they don't side with their buddies. Amen, military folks? The good old boy system, right? Rather, they're siding with God. Even if you think less of these Grecians, we're going to take care of them. But there's 4,500 Hebrews and 2,000 Grecians, whatever the number might be. I don't care. We're going to take care of them. The church is not a democracy. This is not just popular vote. It's not how God has structured it. And so they say, choose seven men to handle this. And as far as church structure, structure goes, it is important that we see and understand that these men that are chosen are still under the authority of the apostles. The apostles say, whom we may appoint over this business. Now it appears that the people helped to select them based upon the criteria given by the apostles. And then the apostles would ordain them. And it's important to understand this because many congregations have been destroyed by improper structure. And, and that can, I, I know that can happen even in good structure because you can get a tyrant. I understand all that. But a lot of times, we, and if you've been around long enough, you've seen where a deacon board has destroyed a congregation. Or members have destroyed a congregation because they're trying to rob what God has installed as pastoral authority. That's God-given authority. We, we also see that these men are not just a committee who are going to make up some rules and go tell other people to enforce it. These men are actually going to work on the problem. These are true servants. They, these are deacons, if you will. These are men who are serving. And because they needed to be men who would handle this with the right fidelity... The apostles say, here's the qualifications. Look ye out seven men of honest report. I'm losing my notes here. Is that what it says? Yeah, I got it right. Praise God. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Now I want you to notice this, that the church had to look out these men. They had to find them. They had to search for them. They needed to then be inspected. These needed to be proven men who were already walking with God. And the fact of the matter is there are certain situations we can't give to a novice or an immature believer. Anybody can shovel snow, right? And that's not a knock on shoveling snow. I love shoveling snow. I do. Look how ripped I am. That's what I do. I shovel snow. <laughs> yeah, that went over well. But you can't hand, handle every situation just to anybody. And I'm saying that to say this. While all of us are here to serve, not all are qualified to serve in every capacity. Well, don't get mad at that. The Bible is clear that there are qualifications for a pastor, a deacon, and their wives. 
you can see 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Notice in verse 5 that this plan pleased the whole multitude. Oh, what a blessing. They were pleased to relieve the apostles from other demands of the ministry. And they were pleased that the issue is going to be handled. And what a blessing it is when the church gets behind their pastoral leaders and vision. Was there a possibility that some of the Hebrews wouldn't like it? Yep, I suppose that's possible. But we're going to do what's right in the sight of God. And then we allow people to mature along as we go. Or worst case, we allow them to move on somewhere else. Or drop out. Because we're going to do right by God. And if that offends anyone and you aren't willing to grow, then maybe this isn't the place for you. We're going to keep going with God. Now, we need to take note of who they chose. People who are far smarter than me tell me these are all Grecian or uh, Greek names. Therefore, they're all Grecians. Well, all but one. Nicholas is called a proselyte. That means he wasn't born of Israel but he was converted to Judaism and later he converted to Christianity. Because of how God will bless after this problem is handled, I doubt it was because there were no Hebrews who were willing to humble themselves and step up and help. Because God's really going to bless here. But I believe this is wisdom in accordance with God's will for this matter. I, I really pondered this. I wondered if it was because maybe they understood there was a cultural difference between the Grecians and the Hebrews. Maybe it'd be nice to have some Grecians help with this issue with the other Grecians because of the cultural differences. I thought about if we ever had an issue with a Native American family, it'd be nice if another Native American family could help because there are cultural differences that I don't fully understand. I'm trying to learn those things, but if you've ever tried to minister, it's difficult. There's things I just don't know. And so maybe we could put it this way. Um, It'd be like a mom helping a mom, right? Not, not teeny bopper helping some new mom. Amen? All right. <laughs> I don't have an axe to grind. I'm just saying. Um, or maybe you've been through a situation that somebody else has been through. Right? A similar situation. It just has more weight, more meaning, more, and, and it's more of a help. And maybe that's the sense here. I don't know. But uh, anyway, they, they select Grecians to help with the Grecian problem. It was a Grecian formula that worked. Amen? <laughs> I don't, I don't make this stuff up. It's not in my notes, all right? Only Lisa got it anyway, apparently, or the rest of you thought it wasn't funny. Um, that wasn't that funny, was it? No? Okay, my wife said no. Cut it out. Move on. We see in verse 6 that these seven men were set before the apostles. They prayed for them. They laid their hands on them. They are now officially commissioned and ordained to do what they've been called to do. They're still under the authority of the apostles. And I'll ride a hobby horse here real quick. For what it's worth, I don't believe in other churches selecting leaders for another church. We see that in the hierarchy of many denominations, like they appoint a pastor like it's a military assignment. Sadly, I've seen some independent Baptist churches do this. And another pastor comes into that church and tries to tell them who they ought to select. I don't believe in ordination boards where pastors from other churches have a say whether a man should be called to pastor another church. 
Why am I telling you this? I don't know. I just wanted to get feisty. That man is being ordained for that church, not the church of the pastor who's asking the questions. So it really doesn't matter what that pastor says. What does the church say who's calling the pastor? You say, how did your ordination board go? It didn't. But I'm here. Amen. Pastor said, that's it. You're the pastor. Have fun. Is that how it was for 50 years of ministry, sister? I don't know. It was just like, here, do it. We'll see in Acts how others will reach back to Jerusalem and the apostles for guidance. But don't forget, they don't have the New Testament, right? It's okay to get the guidance and advice. I'm all for that. But uh, they, they didn't have the Word of God like we do, and we, we really don't have to look any further than the qualifications that are already given. Amen. Well, all right. This church had a serious problem on their hands. It was a cancer that had to be rooted out. The leadership deals with it quickly and wisely while maintaining their primary responsibility. Qualified men were selected by the church. The apostles approved and ordained them to the work. And all of this pleased the church. What a blessing. Now look at verse 7 where we see the result of handling internal problems correctly and being structured correctly. Look at what it says. And the word of God increased... And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. This is absolutely amazing. First, we see the Word of God increased. And I'll move fast. This is a result of them being structured properly. The apostles, or as we would say today, the pastors, were able to stay within their primary calling And through their continual focus on prayer and study of the Word, the Word of God increased. Does this make sense? Because proper focus was given to the Word of God in preparation that as it was presented, it would go forth with greater power and effectiveness and efficiency. I appreciate Matthew Henry's observation. Quote, Now that the apostles resolved to stick more closely than ever to their preaching, it spread the gospel further and brought it home with a more power. Ministers disentangling themselves from secular employments and addicting themselves entirely and vigorously to their work will contribute very much as a means to the success of the gospel. Second, we see the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Remember that Jesus said to His disciples in John 14, 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on Me the works that I shall do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto My Father. And in Jerusalem, where Christ was rejected, maybe the most, right? I mean, they killed Him. Where Jesus was rejected the most, in the place where He had the least amount of ministry success, if you will, This church is seeing a great number of those from within Jerusalem become disciples. Which is more than just a profession of faith. Disciples. They're following Christ. They're modeling Him. They're accepting that doctrine. They're in one accord with all of this. They're learning and following Christ. And third, and and most amazingly, we find a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And I say, finally, right? If you follow through the Gospels, it's like, 
Finally, the priests are starting to come around. Faith in Christ is manifested through our obedience. That's part of being a disciple. So these priests, they have genuinely been converted. They are obedient to the faith, which is remarkable because this is the main group bent on destroying Christ, His doctrine, and His followers. They had rejected Christ. They had rejected the evidence of the miracles before them. And now all of a sudden they are embracing Christ. Adam Clark noted, And from this we may learn that it is not by miracles that sinners are to be converted unto God, but by the preaching of Christ, dying for their offenses and rising again for their justification. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. I can't say for sure, but I can't help but wonder if when this church in Jerusalem, when they overcame their prejudices, are you with me? There was an issue, Grecians and Hebrews, and when they overcame their prejudices, I can't help but think that that was such an impact in the community that even the priests could observe, wait a minute, we can get over our issues. Our prejudices against these believers, our prejudices against Christ, we can overcome this. And I believe that those priests saw the transforming power of the grace of God in that church. And that led them to understand this is real. Because what were the priests' big problems? Look, they had a lot of problems with this Hebrew-Grecian thing. And it's just amazing as we start seeing this unfold in the book of Acts. This is, this is absolutely amazing what's going to take place here. The Grecians are now being elevated into positions of leadership that we're going to see as we progress through the book of Acts. And the following chapters had a huge impact on early Christianity. You see, Grecians had a different outlook than the Hebrews had early on. Especially on their view of the temple. Or at least to some extent, because what do you do if you're of the stock of Israel, but you're not living in Jerusalem? And you can't go to the temple. What do you do? Well, you end up evolving a system that actually looks more like the New Testament church. And you end up with these things called synagogues that are scattered throughout. And that's where you would attend worship. And and what that did is it caused these Grecians who were in those environments to recognize and to understand that God does not dwell in buildings made with hands. But He inhabits the praise of His people. In a way, these Grecians ended up with a more spiritual view of Christianity. Stephen is the one who's going to preach to the Hebrews in the next chapter. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands as saith the prophets. Stephen recognized that the temple that stood in Jerusalem at that time was no longer the important temple. Whoop! But the temple was what? The body. The temple of the living God. And up to this point, the Grecians will say what the native Hebrews have been unwilling or too ignorant to say. And this faith, as it is called at the end of verse 7, It's about to get a tidal wave. Rush over it as the gospel begins to move outside of Jerusalem. This will start as a result of persecution, but the first one mentioned by name is going to be Philip, a Grecian. And guess where he's going to go? 
He's going to go to Samaria. Say, what's the big deal about that? They were half-breeds. The Hebrews didn't want anything to do with that. At least those in Judaism, for sure. And so Philip's the one that's going to be called out to go down there and preach. You see how God's going to use these Grecians? Obviously, I'm going somewhere with this. The Grecians have a clarity of the grace of God that the Hebrews didn't seem to have just yet. And so the Grecians end up being a great blessing in the first century before the Hebrews had grown into this reality. And we'll see that they grow into this reality in in due time. So are you hearing what I'm saying, church? Listen to me. Because in our stripe, we've got big issues. Right? We're the kind of people that say, sorry, we don't like how you look. I don't like your upbringing. You don't have the pedigree. I don't like how you sound. I don't like the fact that you carry that Bible. I don't like that you do this and that. But what we're seeing here in this text is once the people get a hold of the fact that God's grace is able, He qualifies the called, and we start opening up and saying, no, we want you here. Oh, they have tattoos. That just got real, didn't it? You know how many people serve in our church with tattoos? You say, are you pro-tattoo? Not necessarily. I believe Leviticus 19.26 is pretty clear. But listen, people make decisions. And now you've got to live with the decisions you made. Amen? Listen, if my life was put up here on the screen, it may not be in ink. You wouldn't want me up here. Listen, I'm trying to get you to see once we break down these walls and once we say, yeah, I believe that we have, I believe it, man. I believe we have the truth. That's why I'm an independent Baptist. I believe we have truth. I believe we have the pure word of God. But that doesn't mean now we've got to isolate everybody that doesn't fit our little mold. That's right. Amen. They don't look the right way. They don't sound the right way. They don't smell the right way. I'm okay having people going out there and smoking in between services. We need to be reaching people. I don't want them going out there and getting high. Amen. (laughs) Listen, the church ought to be full of people at different stages of growth. We ought to have people that are able to get up and teach. We ought to have people that are teaching the ones who just came in. I don't know why I'm saying all this. This ain't even in my notes. I'm just saying. Amen. I'm going to do a series. I'm just saying. That's the name of the series. I'm just saying. (laughs) Independent Baptists are weird, aren't they? They really are. What was it back there in the hippie days? Don't wear wire ring glasses. Can't have any facial hair. Don't wear wingtip shoes. Wear a paisley tie. (laughs) We're an odd bunch. But a lot of that morphed into an attitude that says, we don't want you here. I don't want to be that church that looks down at somebody and says, you're not welcome here. We're going to follow the Bible. We're going to follow Bible qualifications. But, but look at what happened in our text when they broke down their prejudices and they realized well, the Grecians are just as much as believers as the Hebrews. Come on now. Once that broke down, what does it say? The Word of God multiplied. It grew. Don't worry, I'm going to let you out of here soon enough. Quit acting like you hate it. The Word of God increased. But see, we have this attitude that if we take this holier-than-thou approach, that the Word of God is going to increase, but it doesn't. It stifles the Holy Spirit working. 
The word of God increased. What does it say next there in verse 7? The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Wouldn't you love to see that in Rapid City? Will you do me a favor? If you were saved and baptized in this church before you ever had any knowledge of Christ, will you raise your hand? Two, three, three people? What's the matter with us? Why aren't we reaching these people? I'm just sharing my heart with you. Why aren't we going out there and reaching those who have never heard? And they can go, that's my home church. That's where I was saved. That's where I was baptized. That's where I was discipled. I'll take all the transplants God's going to send. Amen. But why aren't we going out there reaching all the ones that have never been reached? Three people? We had 220 here this morning. That's it? Man, I got so burdened about that the other day, and I just started weeping. I said, Lord, what are we doing? I, I got to stop. I know. I, some of you look like you want to be watching fishing. But listen, I, this is such an important event here in, in Acts chapter 6. We need a purpose to be a church which will deal with problems with proper leadership within a proper structure. Bring your problems to the leadership of the church. Don't just go around complaining to others. I want you all to understand you've been gifted to serve in this body in some capacity, every one of you. I don't care your background. I don't care how you look. You have been gifted to serve. And your service in your particular area of expertise, it will help the pastors to serve God how He has intended us to serve. So what I'm telling you is, We all work together to make a healthy organism. The Word of God will increase. People will be saved. Disciples will be added. And I love this. Even the unexpected will be saved along the way. So what kind of church are we going to be? Let's pray.